Father, we thank you for your word that is ancient and true. It is ancient and true, and it is the life-giving source to our lives. We bless you and we thank you for it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and power with your presence among us today. Take this word and let it not just swirl around in our minds for us to think about, but let it take that short journey from our head to our heart where we would truly be transformed from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we need you to do this work that our lives would shine and reflect more and more of the glory of our Savior. So we make our prayer, come Holy Spirit, come do what only you can do for the glory of our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Over the past few weeks, and I didn't really plan this, that's the beauty of following the lectionary in certain seasons of the year, we have been camping out in Ephesians chapter 4, and I think rightly so in this day and in this age, we're hearing Paul remind us of a truth that as followers of Jesus we have got to grasp and live into, and it's this, that we have become one body. We have become one body together in Christ. Paul began Ephesians chapter 4 with these words, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're learning these days how to live out of this reality that we really are one body together in Christ. We are, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are part of one family. You are united to those around you, whether you know it or even like it. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I want to highlight today that, that we're, as we start to look at the passage that Dustin read, starting in verse 25, one of the things Paul again is bringing us back to is this important reality that we truly are the body of Christ, that we are members of one another. We see, we looked at this one passage in John 17 a few weeks ago, in that high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he was handed over to go to the cross. He prays to his father these words. He said, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved them. So I want to ask this question as we think about this, this theme, this reality is of being new creations in Christ. We really are one body together. I want to ask you this question. Are you living your life today in such a way that you are deepening that unity? Or are you living your life in such a way that it's bringing greater division and disunity among others that you're with? See, one of the ways that we deepen this unity, that we really are one body in Christ, is by the way we talk with one another, the way we talk to one another. I don't know how you've thought about your words lately, but how aware are you of the words that have come out of your mouth this past week? How aware are you of what's fueled those words that have come out of your mouth this past week? Do the words that you've spoken that you speak, do they build up 
or do they tear down? This is what Paul is getting at in this section uh, of the importance of if we're going to be a body of Christ together and really be a united community for the Lord, his church, then we need to begin to learn and, and ask ourselves, how am I using my words? Are they building up or tearing down? And here's where we find the crux that we're going to look at today. I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 4, 29 to chapter 5, verse 2. Paul wrote, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Two points I'm going to make briefly this morning. The first is this. We're going to look at, we need to understand the destructive nature of our words. Secondly, we're going to look at, beyond the destructive nature of our words, the opposite, the healing nature of our words. Because our words are either going to destroy or they're going to bring healing. Let's first dive in where Paul begins, looking at the destructive nature of our words. And and he begins by mixing, by by mentioning, say, six attitudes or six words of language that we use. And he calls us to put them away. And it's not, oh, just kind of push them away. No, he is emphatic here. And it's in saying, stop, church, if you're living like this, stop. And he gives these words, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. But it's interesting, he teased them up with these words, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That word corrupt there is also translated as rotten, okay? Think about something that's rotten. Open your refrigerator. You've got a dozen eggs in there. You're going to cook breakfast for your family. You're going to use all the eggs. You start cracking them. You're going to scramble them. And all of a sudden, you find that one's rotten. But you put it in anyway and just mix it up thinking one little one's not going to make a you know, difference if there are 11 good ones. You know as well as I do, what does that do? It makes the entire batch rotten. Things that are rotten kill and destroy. That's what he's getting at here. Our words can be so corrupted. They can be so um, rotten that they will kill and destroy wherever they land on another person. And so I'm not going to go into great detail listing each of these six, but I want to name them and just kind of give a brief explanation to each so that we're all clear what Paul's meaning by these words that we find ourselves often speaking. He names bitterness. Bitterness is like that sharp arrow. It is that thing that you taste that's like pungent to your taste. Aristotle defined bitterness in this way. He said, bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses to be reconciled. I wonder if there's a spirit of bitterness in you that you have refused, as far as it depends on you, to be reconciled with someone else. That's bitterness. Then he mentions wrath, and and wrath is likened to rage. Wrath, in other words, it's, it's anger gone rogue. I mean, it is just out there. Think about, has that been a part of your life? He names anger. Anger is when we become agitated by something. And then all of a sudden we just begin to be, to boil over. 
okay, and it just spews out. We all know what that's like. We've all been there. He names clamor. This is when people raise their voices and start shouting and screaming over each other. That's what clamor is. Then he names slander. We all know what slander is. Slander is speaking ill of someone behind their back in a way that you, you really hope destroys them. You don't say it to their face, but you say it to someone else that you hope is going to tear them down. And then the last one he names is malice. And, that, and malice is a deliberate attempt to harm someone. Like, I, I want to do that to you. That's malice. Let me ask you this. Are any of those that Paul mentioned evident in your home these days? In your marriage? In a relationship that you have? Are any of those evident in your communications with business associates, with friends, with people from church, or out in the community? Friends, we need to recognize what Paul is saying here and understand the destructive nature that our words can have if we are not aware of what's going on. You, if you've seen the news, you've seen a lot of the wildfires in California some of the worst in history there. You've seen the wildfires in uh, Greece just destroying hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres. Towns have been destroyed by these fires. In James' epistle toward the end of the New Testament, James likens the tongue to a fire. Here's what he wrote. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire cosmos of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been by mankind, but no human can tame, can tame the tongue. I think we can all relate to that. He goes on and he writes, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, now this is staggering, but it's true. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he writes this, my brothers, these things ought not be so. I love that. These things ought not be. These things should not represent the church. These things should not be evident in the community of a follower, followers of Jesus. But the reality is, you know as well as I do, they are evident in our midst. Heard Tim Keller speak years ago, and, and he gave this illustration, and it's, it's in the context of marriage, but, but listen to it, and it'll, you can put it in any relationship you have. He said this, when you get married, you have no idea how much influence you're going to have on your spouse. When you say mean and hurtful things to your spouse, you don't realize the depth of hurt that you're bringing upon them. You think you've got a BB gun in your hand, but it's really a rocket launcher. You think you're going to give a little flesh wound, but when you look back, all you see is a pair of tennis shoes and smoke. How true is that? We think we got a little BB gun. I've had a BB gun hit me in the side before. It hurts, but it's not that bad. But our words are so much more volatile than that. You see, that's what happens. We're like, we've got a rocket launcher. That's what happens when you make a cutting remark to someone 
whether it's your spouse, one of your kids, someone else you know, when you criticize them in any way, when you yell at them or lash out, that's what you're doing. We're blowing them up. Friends, we need to understand the destructive nature of our words if we are going to truly be a people who live in unity with one another. If we're going to, if this unity of the church is really going to have an impact and really be the fragrant aroma of Jesus in the culture today, which we so desperately need, then it matters how we speak with one another, doesn't it? It matters how we speak to those who are not even in the church. We've got to realize that our our words are either going to bring life or they're going to bring death. And Paul names in here something that we need to open our eyes to. He says, when you speak this way, you're not just destroying that person. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're grieving God when we speak to one another in those ways. Now, I've spoken a bit on actual words that we say. That's what Paul's getting at here. But I think it goes beyond just the actual words that come out of our mouths. Because there's a whole lot that we're saying, not verbally, but putting out there today, isn't there? On social media, whatever platform you use. I wonder how your words are coming across on those venues. What are those words you're writing convey? Does what you write grieve the Holy Spirit? You step back and look what you wrote this past week. Would someone who read that post look at you and say, they're kind, (laughs) they're tenderhearted, they're loving like Christ loved? Would they say that you're walking in love? Or would they go, wow, that person's a believer? (laughs) Just what I thought. It matters, not just what we say, but what we write, what we put out there. You and I need to realize the impact that our words have. You see, when we speak to another follower of Jesus, and I'm just going to land on that for a moment, and you begin to say something that you know you shouldn't, and I don't know about you, but I've recognized this because I've asked the Lord to show me, to give me internal signals when I'm about to launch a grenade, and, and, and I can feel it because I think things well up in me and I kind of kind of feel like this. And, and I said, I'm learning now when that happens, shut my mouth <laughs> because I've said things in the past that are hurtful and destroy. But friends, when, when you get to that place, you know, we've got to stop and look at that person. I'm talking about a family of, of followers of Jesus here and see that person as a son of the living God. See that person as a daughter of God. And when we do that, we've got to stop and think, how dare we destroy what God has redeemed? How dare we destroy with our words someone that Jesus loves so much that he gave his life to redeem and bring new life out of? You see that? That's how important it is that we learn to use our words differently today in the church. We need to go back and begin to see one another as God sees us that we are crowned with glory and honor. Psalm 103, David names that. He says that that if you're a follower, we, we are crowned with glory and honor. That would have make all the difference in the world. If you began to look at that person who you're really mad at, who's done something against you, to stop and pause and say, wait a minute, you're, you're, a, you're a son of God. You've been crowned with glory and honor. I'm going to stop and rethink how I'm going to respond to you. 
And then think about the person who's not a follower of Jesus. We don't get a hall pass on that one. (laughs) It matters. You know why? Because they're made in the image of God, just like you and just like me. And how dare we tear down someone who's been made in the image of God. This is the weighty thing we need to see, because I think in the church we need to hear this today. He doesn't just tell us, though, thankfully, the destructive nature of our words. He gives us a way out, a way forward, a way where we can live in a new uh, new posture of life. And this is where we find the, the healing nature of our words. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verse 29, he wrote, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul is emphatic when he says this, that when we speak, don't go back to those old ways, but when we speak, we ought to speak in a way that actually builds up the person that we're with, that doesn't just build them up, but it gives them grace, (laughs) that we are speaking life into them. We need to learn this, friends. We need to learn that there is a way to express hurt, disappointment, and frustration in a way that is actually redemptive and brings life to the other person. People are going to hurt us. You're going to hurt other people. But we need to learn how to respond in a way that in the midst of it, we're actually speaking grace to them. That is so otherworldly. It is so unnatural to do that. And I think about it and I go, how? It's not really what I want to do because they hurt me and I really want to hurt them. But you see, Paul is showing us a different way of life. This is the gospel because we're called to a different way of life. And here's the way that we can actually live in a different way. The healing nature of our words come from a heart that has been gripped by the redemptive grace of Jesus. You want to know how you can respond differently. It's when your heart has been gripped by the grace of Jesus. You see, friends, here's a principle we need to grasp. Whatever we treasure in our hearts, it's going to be reflected in our words. Whatever we're treasuring in our hearts is going to be reflected in the words. And so listen, if we are treasuring the gospel of God's grace, and and, and Paul mentions it here in verse 34 and following, when he writes, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Friends, that's the gospel. When when we are living out of that, when we are living out of the reality that God engages us in a tender way, that God engages us with mercy, that he forgives us, That's going to change. It can't help but change the words that we actually speak to those around us who have hurt us. You see, we need to know what we're treasuring, don't we? Jesus gets at this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, when Jesus said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What's he saying? What we say flows from what's in our heart. So it matters what you and I are treasuring in our hearts. What are you treasuring in your heart these days? 
You see, when I ask myself the question, why do I act out in anger? Why am I bitter at times? Why is there slander? Why am I envious? The list can go on and on. The answer to those questions is this. It's that something or someone has gotten in the way of what I want. You've gotten in the way of what I want. And that's an indicator that what I'm treasuring is not the glory of God, but I'm treasuring the glory of Robert. I'm treasuring my kingdom. I want my way, and you just got in the way of it, and boy, I'm going to let you have it. But Jesus says there's another way. And the only way we can live out of that other way is to begin to treasure the things of God. And so the statement that we've got to grasp is this. The question is this. Am I treasuring my life more than I'm treasuring the glory of God? Am I treasuring my life more than I'm treasuring the glory of God? See, friends, when you and I fail to remember this grace... (laughs) that Paul mentions here at the end of the chapter, in the beginning of chapter 5, when we fail to, to live in this grace, to, to, to immerse ourselves in this grace, we are going to forget and we're going to act out of our old nature and we're going to act out of anger and the list goes on and on. But when we are living out of this grace, friends, it really does change our lives so that the words we say begin to be life-giving They give grace to those who hear. I just want to wrap this up just with a couple of very practical things. Because it's one thing to say, okay, I've got to stop this and start this. Well, here's the reality. The only way we can do that, again, it's the gospel of Jesus. That we are giving ourselves more and more over to this gospel where we're seeing God engage us in a tender-hearted way. Where we are forgiven and where we are loved beyond what we can imagine. And so here's one thing that's simple to do, and I want to encourage you to begin to try. When you wake up in the morning, but before you get out of bed, before those feet land on the floor, stop for a moment and recognize that this new day is filled with God's new morning mercies. That every day, friends, you and I wake up are days filled with mercy from God that are new for you and me. And remind yourself of what is true, that your past is forgiven that the shame has been taken away and that your guilt has been atoned for. Don't get up and walk in that day as a slave again. You walk in that day as someone who is set free because you have been forgiven. Friends, let me tell you, that will change your posture in a day. That will begin to change what you say in a day. And throughout the day, have moments where this word is not just sitting on a shelf, I don't know if you can put it on your desk in your office or if you've just got it on your phone and you can pull up, but take time, take a few moments in the day to stop and reflect, reorient your heart around this glorious truth because that's what's going to then change your heart. That's what's going to fill your heart. This is what you're going to begin to treasure. And then the last thing is when you go to bed at night, again, it's very simple. Put your head on the pillow. Don't go to bed yet. But step back and think, how have I seen God's mercy in my life today? And name some moments and celebrate and thank God for those moments. Where have you seen God be tender toward you where you did not deserve it? Where did you repent and experience forgiveness and through forgiveness, freedom of the gospel and grace? 
Friends, this is what it looks like to immerse ourselves in the gospel of our God's grace, of God's grace. And so we see Paul saying, he's showing us clearly the, the ways that we once lived, the destructive nature of our words, but he's given us a new way to walk that you and I actually are able to bring the very healing nature of Jesus to the people around us, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us. As I said at the beginning, I'm going to say right now, just because we need to hear it, it is crucial that the church today begins to stand in unity with one another. We have something so glorious to show the world around us. We bring the fragrant aroma of Jesus. But friends, if we are tearing each other down and we're tearing others down out there, how are they going to see, how are they going to hear the good news that we get to bring? Amen? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this challenge that you've put before us. As I said last week, everyone here is just hearing it now. I've been listening to this all week, and I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've challenged me, that you have convicted me, that you've opened my eyes to ways that I can relate that don't glorify you. May the gospel become so much richer, so much more satisfying, that my heart has changed, that our lives are changed. And Jesus, in just a moment, we're going to come to the table Oh, through this reminder, Lord, of this, of the, your supper, this bread and this wine, would you just not remind us of your love and grace? But open our eyes to what it cost you, that we would be overwhelmed with gratitude and feed and feast on your unending love and mercy. So come show us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.